All right. James chapter 4. James chapter 4. We're going to start there in verse 2. Now, last Sunday I preached a sermon on the sin of not praying. It's a sin not to pray. You need to be praying. Uh, it's, it's, you, as a Christian, you, your duty is to pray. And it's not only just to pray for yourself, it's to pray for others. To pray for, we got people in this church that are sick, they're in desperate need of our prayer. It's a sin for you not to be praying for them. And, we, and, and, I, and I, I talked about that, we preached on that. Uh, we, we looked at the scripture that had to deal with that. And what, what Samuel said, it was a sin if you didn't pray. And uh, we, we looked at the different things Jesus Christ said about praying and how to approach God in prayer. Now, I want this morning to switch gears a little bit on that. I'm going to show you, and I'm going to do it quickly. So just hang in with me. I'm going to try to do it as quick as I can. I'm going to show you seven, seven hindrances to your prayers. I'm going to give you seven prayer hindrances. These are things out of the Bible, the Bible talks about, that can hinder your prayers to re from reaching God, and not only some of your prayers from reaching God, but from God just not wanting to answer them. You might say, well, uh, Pastor, I pray and I pray and the Lord won't answer my prayer. Well, let's look at it. There may, there's some, one of these seven you might be dealing with in your life, maybe a couple of them, that are hindering your prayers from being answered by the Lord. Look at James chapter 4. Look at James chapter 4, and we'll start there at verse 2. Ye lust and have not, ye kill and desire to have and cannot obtain. Ye, ye fight in war, yet, look at here, yet ye have not, because ye ask not. Amen. Ye ask and receive not, because ye ask amiss that ye may consume it upon your lust. Let's go to the Lord. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, you know I'm just a simple guy, Father. I don't have a lot of wisdom, Lord God. And any wisdom I have, Father, it comes from you, Father. So I pray, Lord God, that you would hide me behind the cross of Calvary, Father. I pray, Lord God, that your Holy Spirit will be the one that leads us. And God, this morning, Lord God, as, as I reach out and pray to you, Father, I know, Lord God, there's things that I can do, Lord God, and ways that I can act that can hinder me from getting my prayers answered, Father God. And Father, I pray for wisdom there for anybody who needs the sound of my voice that needs this needs these hindrances to be known to them, Lord God. Something maybe they're doing, Lord God, that you're not pleased with, Lord God, whatever it might be, Father. And as we study through these scriptures, Lord God, they'll come alive for us. And Father, I'm praying, Lord, at the end of this service, Lord God, if there's somebody that's never prayed and asked Jesus Christ to save them, Lord, they can't think of a time they have, Lord God, that when we give this invitation, Lord God, they'll come on down the aisle and they'll get saved, Lord God. That's really what we're all about, Father. We just want to see people saved, have that joy and peace like we have, Lord God, and have that heavenly home waiting for them like you have waiting for us, Lord. We thank you, Father, for your grace and mercy in this church, Lord God. We thank you for your healing hand. Lord, we do pray for some of our loved ones in this church, Lord God, that are dealing with different health issues. Father, you know who they are, Lord. Father, we've been praying for them. We've been praying for them, Lord. But we pray that your will be done there, Father. But above all else, Father, you promised peace and you promised grace, Lord God. And I pray you give that to them. Give them grace and peace to deal with the, the storm that they're, that they're going through right now, Father. And I thank you for your love in our lives, Lord God. Thank you for caring for us. In Jesus Christ's holy name I pray. Amen. Look at verse 2. James chapter 4, verse 2. And I'm going to go kind of quickly because i got seven of these to go through. But the first one's found in verse 2. At the end of verse 2, ye have not, yet ye have not. Why? Because ye ask not. One of the hindrances might simply because you're not asking. <laughs> You know, when we get to heaven, I'm, I'm, I bet we're going to be amazed when we get to heaven and the Lord said, you know, I would have given you so much, but you just wouldn't ask. I, I, I know a story of a guy that walked up to a, a woman that was, that was, she was a multimillionaire, but she was a, she was a multimillionaire's a daughter, and he walked up to the door, and he knocked on the door, and the daughter came to the door, and she opened up the door, and she said, he said to her, will you marry me? 
And she, he looked at, she looked at him and said, are you crazy? No. Why would you even ask that? He just shrugged his shoulders. He goes, I just want to know what it felt like to lose a million dollars. The point is, is that you, want, you never know. What if she would have said yes? Bing, bing, bing. He's a millionaire. Hey, sometimes you just need to ask God. What's the worst he can do? Tell you no. Hey, yeah, amen. And that's not telling you that story to go ask God for a million dollars. And if you think you're going to pray that way, keep on listening. There's some other stuff that's going to straighten you out all that. But the point is that you ask and you're just not getting what you want. There's two missionaries and they were praying and needed a car over in Africa. And one of the missionaries got down on his knees and says, Lord, we need a car. Lord, send us a car. Any old junker will do. And that other missionary grabbed him by the shoulder. He said, brother, brother, God's not in the junk business. What's he saying? He said, well, why are you praying for a junk old car? Ask God for a Cadillac. Now, if he sends you a Pinto, fine. But ask him for a Cadillac, amen? Our God is a God of a thousand hills. He owns a cattle on a thousand hills. Amen. Our God controls this whole universe. If he wants to, he can give you whatever your heart desires. And he wants to give it to you. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20. Now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think. That's a promise from Scripture right there. The second one you'll find there in verse 3, the second prayer hindrance that you'll find there is found there in verse 3. You ask and you receive not because you ask amiss that you may consume it upon your lusts. The second prayer hindrance is selfishness. Maybe these prayers that you're sending up, this prayer that you're sending up, maybe it's you're sending it up for selfish reasons. Maybe you're not sending it up for God to get the glory. If you're praying a prayer that Jesus Christ will be glorified, that God will get the glory, I'm guaranteeing you God's going to hear that prayer. I don't care what kind of condition your life's in. I don't care what kind of condition a, your Christian walk is in. If you pray a prayer where you say, God, I'm, I want this to be answered because I want Jesus Christ to be glorified in every way, God will stop and listen to that prayer. Now, I'm not promising you He's going to answer that prayer the way you want it answered, but He will stop and listen because God's heart is always to glorify Jesus Christ. Amen. So sometimes we ask, and when we ask, it's for selfish reasons. Give me the million dollars. For what reason? So you can build you a new house and you can not go to church and you can find a way to be down in Las Vegas every other month. God said, no, no, no. I know what you'll do with that and I'm not going to give it to you. But if you say, Lord, if you'll give me a million dollars, I'm going to spread it out among all these missionaries. I won't even take a dime of it. And you mean it. Can you pray that and mean it? <laughs> I don't think I could pray that and mean it. The way we pray it is, Lord, you give me a million dollars and I'll th think about that, Lord. I'm going to tithe $100,000 to those missionaries right there. And I'm only going to keep 800000 of it or 900000 of it, Lord. That's how we pray. It's selfishness. It's selfishness. Uh, George Mueller. There's a YouTube video. You can go and find it. I think it's by, on YouTube, it's Revelation TV. There's a documentary on a man that lived in the mid-1800s. I'm going to talk about him some this morning. His name was George Mueller. There's men that write books on prayer, and I've got shelves of them that write E.M. Bounds. There's men that write books on how to pray. This man, he lived it. He lived prayer. And you need to go find out more about him. There's autobiographies written by this man. He prayed. He claimed he had 50,000 prayers answered. He had 30,000 answered. He had 30,000 prayers answered within 24 hours. That's how great a prayer warrior this man was. Why was he such a great prayer warrior? Because he's doing a lot for the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. 
Say, what, what was he doing for the Lord Jesus Christ? He started an orphanage, and he helped over 10,000 over 10, orphans over in England. You think God has a... Does, what does God have one heart for? God has a heart for the fatherless. Amen. The poor and the fatherless. So when you have a child that's poor and fatherless, that's a double whammy right there. God has a double heart up for them. And when you got a man that says, I want to help these children, and he got them by the hundreds and by the hundreds, and he'd, have, he'd had different stories in his building. The, the, the girls would stay on this floor. In the second floor, the boys would stay on that floor. On the third floor, those are more boys. On the fourth floor, more girls. He'd had them separate out. He was, by the hundreds, he was helping them out. His neighbors hated his guts. Why would his neighbors hate his guts? Can you imagine a hundred kids running around the neighborhood? He loved kids. I'll tell you a story on George Mueller before we go on, and you'll kind of have doubt what kind of man we're talking about here. George Mueller, he's, he goes in there, he's got faith. He walks in there, he, got, he makes his kids sit down, he has no food to feed these orphans, and he knows it. He gets them, he says, y'all go line up on the table. They all get at the table, they look down, there's no food on their plate. And he bows his head and says, Lord, I know that you want to feed us, Lord, and I thank you for this food, thank you for the blessing of this food, in Jesus Christ's name I pray, amen. They said that when he prayed, it was the simplest prayer you ever heard. It was simple, because he just talked to God, and he had faith in God, and he believed God would do it. He got through praying, the kids lifted up their eyes, there's no food on the table. By that time, got a knock on the door. He opens up the door. Here's a baker, the local baker. He has a handful of, of, of bread. He said, you know what? God woke me up about 2 o'clock this morning and said, you need to bake some bread. You need to take it down to that orphanage. Praise God. Amen. Well, that's not the end of the story. <laughs> right about that time, there was a milk, a milk, uh, uh, a carriage carrying milk. Wheel came off, broke down. Milk carriages broke down in front of the orphanage. Hey, I know this is an orphanage. All this milk's on this carriage. I can't do nothing with it. It's going to spoil. We're stuck here. Could y'all use some milk? George Muter says, yes, sir, we can. So by, by the time all that was done, they had all the bread they could eat and all the milk they could drink. God. Just ask. Just ask. Just ask. But ask without selfish reasons. Here's what George Mueller would say about three questions. He always, before he prayed, this is what he'd ask himself. Is this the Lord's work? He has three questions. Is this the Lord's work? Is this the Lord's way? Is this the Lord's time? Is this the Lord's time to do this? Is this the, Lord, the, way, the way the Lord wants us to do it? Is this the Lord's work? There's a man that had a lot of prayers answered. And he had a lot of prayers answered because that's how he prayed. Look at James chapter 1. James chapter 1. Let's go on to the third one. So don't ask for selfish reasons. Don't, you need to ask. Look at James chapter 1, verse 5. Let's move along. James chapter 1, verse 5. Here's some prayer hindrances. I'm trying to move along quickly. James chapter 1, verse 5. If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God, that giveth to all men liberally, and upbraideth not, and it shall be given him. Verse 6. But let him ask in faith... Nothing wavering, for he that wavereth is like a wave of the sea, driven with the wind and tossed. For let not that man think that he shall receive anything of the Lord. You see what James is telling you? If you're going to pray, you've got to pray believing God's going to answer it. Amen. And you've got to pray believing that God can answer it. Yeah. Hey, with God, there's nothing impossible with God. 
Yeah, man, with man it's impossible, amen. Jesus Christ said that. With men it is impossible, but with God all things are possible. Amen. There's nothing impossible for God. Verse 8, a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. So the, th third, uh, the third hindrance to prayer is being double-minded and doubtful. Being double-minded and doubtful. That's one of our main problems. We see somebody is sick, uh, deathly sick of cancer, and the doctor said, you know, send them home. they got three months to live, this, this, that, and other. And sometimes we just give up praying on them. Well, it's over. I don't think that. And I might be a fool, but I don't ever, I pray to the very last day. Until I get the call that, they're, that they have took their last breath, I pray that God will heal them up. Now, I pray, Lord, if it's your will, heal them up. But I keep on praying, and I keep on praying. You say, well, the doctors say there's no use. Well, I don't care what the doctors say. The doctors have been wrong lots of times. Pray in faith and nothing doubting. A testimony of George Mueller was when he was on a ship, this captain. This is a story of the captain. Not George Mueller didn't tell this story. The captain of the ship told the story. He had George Mueller on a ship, and he was, he was on the bridge. George Mueller walked in. He says, Captain, I need to be over in Quebec by Saturday afternoon. And that captain looked at him. He said, that's impossible. George Mueller said, well, i got to get over there. And the captain said, have you seen the fog outside? That's impossible. George Mueller said, I'm not looking at that fog out there. I'm, looking, I'm not keeping my eyes on the fog. I'm keeping my eyes on God Almighty. And God Almighty has me an appointment in Quebec on Saturday. And for 57 years, I've never missed an appointment. And he'll help me keep this appointment. He said, now, Mr. Captain, let's go down into the chart room and let's pray. Amen. That captain said, I looked at this man. I said, what kind of a sane asylum did this man escape from? That's his literal words. They got down into the chart room. They got down and prayed. And he said it was the simplest prayer. George Mueller said, Lord, you know you want me to be there. You want me to be on Saturday. I know I, I, I'm led that way. Lord, lift this fog. In Jesus Christ's name, amen. And that captain said, so I got down on my knees and I was about to pray. And I felt George Mueller's hand come on my shoulder and said, don't bother praying. And that captain said, I looked up at him, and that Mueller said, I've already asked the Lord. I believe he's going to do it. He'll do it. You don't believe, so don't waste your breath. Let's get up. And that captain got up, and he said, now, captain, he said, he said, captain, I've been serving the Lord for 57 years, and I know how the Lord works, and when we walk out these doors, that fog is going to be dissipated. That fog is going to be gone. And they walked out those doors, and the fog was gone, and that captain said, George Mueller made it to Quebec, that Saturday afternoon. <laughs> Praying without doubting. Praying without doubting. That was back in the mid-1800s. And I thought about that. And I thought, where have all the great men of God gone? Where are the great men of God that think it's important to pray? No matter what, when all looks hopeless, keep on praying. Where have the men of God gone? The last great story of prayer I've ever heard was associated with Billy Graham. Amen. They had a revival in a little country church about like this. Probably a lot less people in it than this. And they had a, they had a little revival. And they stayed down at the farmer's house. And they prayed and they prayed and they prayed. And said, God, move. We God, we want you to move. Bring revival across America. God, move. The little bitty country church. 10, 12 people there. 
There was a young man there named Billy Graham that got saved in that little country church. And you say, it's just a little revival, it don't matter. Billy Graham went on to revive America. Because there were some country farmers, some big old dumb hicks that decided they were going to pray to God and believed he could work. Where has the prayer gone from the church? It's disheartening to me that we don't see more people saved out of this church. And I'm going to keep on praying. I want, to, I, I want to see people pray. I know God's still in the saving business. And sometimes when you go month after month after month, and you don't see people move, you don't see people getting saved, you don't hear about people getting saved, you're like, what am I doing, Lord? But you know what? I'm going to stay faithful. I'm just going to keep on praying. And I'm going to keep on praying. And I'm going to keep on praying. That's all we can do. Is there something I'm doing, though, that's hindering those prayers? Not asking, selfishness, being double-minded and doubtful. Look at 1 Peter chapter 3. Look at 1 Peter chapter 3. Now we're going to have to start moving along. 1 Peter chapter 3. This one's going to hit close to home, Caleb. You might not realize that, but you will when we read it. 1 Peter chapter 3, you're going to get some marriage advice right here, brother. And this is, before I knew you were coming in this morning, this is marriage advice to everybody sitting out there this morning. Everybody that's underneath the sound of my voice that's married, this is really, really good advice. And this one's talking to the husbands. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 7. So you husbands, y'all need to squirm a little bit in the pews. That makes me happy to see y'all squirm a little bit. I want to see your wives give you a little bit of an elbow. Look at verse 7. Likewise, ye husbands, ye husbands, Dwell with them, talking about the wives, dwell with them according to knowledge, giving honor unto the wife as unto the weaker vessel, and as being heirs together of the grace of life. Why? That your prayers be not hindered. Amen. Maybe you're not treating your wife right. The Bible says to live according with them according to Dwell with them according to knowledge. And I'm here to tell you, men, you better have a lot of knowledge. Because the women have a lot of smarts. <laughs> Amen. Woo-hoo-hoo-hoo. And I know some of you ladies are thinking, yeah, yeah, Brother Keegan, but my husband, he's a moron. <laughs> I know it. I know it. I know how you are. I know how you think. He's a moron. And my, my answer to that is, You married him. (laughs) And here's some other bad news. Now it's it's not Mr. Moron, it's Mr. and Mrs. Moron. (laughs) You need to be praying for him. You need to be helping him out. And men, you need to be treating your wives better. Just because you're putting on this marriage ring doesn't mean the pleases and the thank yous stop. And what I mean by that is I've been around married couples where they treat their wife or their, their husband like a dog. You've seen it where some wife will be over there and, and she'll be talking to her husband. You get over here. You're just chewing on him like a barracuda. You know, and then somebody, oh, how you doing? Oh, it's so nice to meet you today. And they're like Mrs. Jekyll and Mrs. Hyde. Just because you put on this wedding ring doesn't mean the pleases and the thank you stop. doesn't mean you have to, you have to stop being polite. Being nice, it's even worse. You're dwelling together. You better be polite and nice because you'll be asleep and they'll get a baseball bat to you or something. Amen. Amen. You don't have no sense. They're the ones that have control of your bank account, the control of your keys to your car, and you're going to treat them like a dog? 
And you wonder why they run off? The Bible says you need to treat the wife with honor. Ladies, let us treat you with honor. Let us open the door for you. Let us treat, hey, it's our job to take care of you. Amen. And that's what a man thrives for. A man thrives to be the hero. No man wants to be Gomer Powell. Every man wants to be John Wayne. Let us be the hero of the family. Let us be the Superman. Let us be the man that takes care of things. Amen. Amen. That's what a man wants to be. And we understand you're the weaker vessel. Don't listen to what the world tells you. Don't, don't listen to world that, you know, anything I can do, you can do better. You know, don't listen to that nonsense. I'm not saying you're not smart. There's a lot, not as smart or smarter than men. The weaker vessel, and it comes in strength. It comes in strength. That's, I'm reading it, guys. I'm not making this up. So if, if you're out there and you're getting kind of angry at me, take it up with the Lord. My, my understanding of this, this runs right along with scientific fact. Amen. And everything I see the world do, it goes against scientific fact. A man can say he's a woman and therefore he's a woman. Science says he's a man. No, no, he says he's a woman now. I don't care what he says he is. He, he's a man. I'm a woman, but now I'm a man. No, no, you're still a woman. Scientific fact always lines up with this book right here. And you are the weaker vessel, and that's okay. That's okay. But that, what, what happens is men, as being heirs together, they forget it, and they start thinking they're going to rule and reign with a rod of iron. Do all, we're supposed to be in this together. Right? I'm speaking from a man that's been divorced. I think I have a little right to pop my mouth off. I know how, I know how to mess up a marriage. I know how a marriage gets messed up. I know how it messes up. I'm giving you some good advice. Some real good advice. I've messed it up. I've seen how women mess it up. But if your prayers aren't getting answered, maybe you're treating your, your spouse like a dog. You're mistreating them. We should never, ever, ever treat strangers better than we treat our spouse. Ever. Let's move along, because I can tell that's going over like a lead balloon. 1 John, 1 John chapter 3. 1 John chapter 3. That's just some biblical advice. 1 John chapter 3. Let's move on to the, let's move on to the fifth one. So we got not asking. So here's some prayer hindrances. First one was not asking. Selfishness. Being double-minded or doubtful. Mistreating your spouse. And the fifth one is found in 1 John chapter 3, verse 22. And whatsoever we ask, John says, Whatsoever we ask, we receive of him because we keep his commandments and do those things that are pleasing in his sight. John says we get our prayers answered because we do those things that are pleasing to God. So therefore, the other side of that coin is simply this. Maybe you're being displeasing to God. You're not getting your prayers answered because you're not being pleasing to God. Uh, remember, we're in a relationship with God. He is our Father. So when you're asking for something, you're asking as a child asking a father. So anybody who has a family, anybody who has kids understands what I'm about to say. You can't just give to the kids everything they want, number one. And number two, you, can't, you might want to give them something and you really, really want to bless them, but you can't do it because they're misbehaving. And if they would just behave, you would give them that ice cream or take them to where they want to go. But you can't bless them because that won't be punishing them. 
They won't be teaching them a lesson. Then they'll think they'll get whatever they want, whenever they want it, because they've never heard the word no. It's called modern day America. It's called, I don't even have to preach this. I don't have to tell an illustration of this. All you got to do is leave this church, go straight over to Walmart, sit in there for 30 minutes, and watch how those kids act in Walmart, and you'll get all the illustrations you need about it. No, I don't want to go. I don't know. Oh, it's okay, honey. Over here. No, I don't want to. Oh, you know, God, God created the belt. Use it. Use it. Amen. I saw, I saw this. You know, the internet's so wicked, but I saw this picture of it said, it said, parenting in 2020, and it shows this sweet lady, and she, she has her, she's out there, and she's talking to the child, and the child looks mad and angry, and it says, when I talk back to my mom in 2020, and it shows a child, and it's going like that, and, and, the, and the, the girl, woman's like, oh, it's okay, you know, like that, and then it, below that's a picture, uh, parent, when I talk back to my mom in 1980, and it shows Rocky Balboa, and his face is all swollen up and everything, he's bleeding over here, you know. Yeah, that's me. If I, man, I, got, I talked to my, back to my mom one time, and she came after me with the broom and beat me half to death. I've told that story, and I had it coming. And they probably would have called CPS on her, the way the, the way world is now. We do those things that are displeasing to the Lord. So we need to be more pleasing to the Lord. Do His commandments. Do those things that He likes. That's, it's as simple as that. Let's find the sixth one's found in Isaiah 59. Isaiah 59. Moving right along. Isaiah 59. Moving right along. We're getting done. Isaiah 59. So we've, we've, uh, we're going to go to the sixth one in Isaiah chapter 59. Look at verses 1 and 2. This is one of the probably the biggest ones. This is probably one of the biggest prayer hindrances you're going to find in the Bible. Isaiah chapter 59, verse 1. I'll give you time to find it. Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened, that it cannot save, neither his ear heavy, that it cannot hear. The Lord wants to hear what you have to say, but verse 2, but, there's the but, the worst word in the English language, but your iniquities have separated between you and your God, and your sins have hid his face from you that he will not hear. So the sixth prayer, Hendrix, probably one of the main ones is your sins. Your sins are separating you from God. And God's not answering your prayers because you've got sin in your heart. You've got sin in your life. There's something you're doing, some sin you're doing. It's displeasing him, 1 John chapter 3, but it's a sin. Well, how can I fix that, Brother Keegan? Get it under the precious blood of Jesus Christ. That's the only way you're going to get it. You're going to have to stop it. Say, <laughs> so, well, I can't stop it. Well, you're going to have to get power from the Holy Spirit. You're going to have to ask him to help you. You're going to have to stop. Psalm 66, 18 says, If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. Amen. See, there, there it gives you a little bit better clue. Because it says, If I regard iniquity in my heart. We're all sinners in here, amen. We all have sins. and We're all dealing with sin. But what he says is, Regard it in my heart. In other words, you take that sin and you like it and you want to keep doing it. And you want to keep living in that sin. And then you want to turn around and ask the Father for something. The Father's like, No. It goes back to that father and child relationship. No, you're misbehaving. I'm not doing it for you. I'm not even going to listen to you. I'm not going to hear it from you. You got some stuff you need to get right. In Isaiah chapter 1, God says to Israel, He says, And when ye spread forth your hands, I will hide mine eyes from you. Yea, when ye make many prayers, 
When you make many prayers, I will not hear. Why? Your hands are full of blood. Violence. Violence. Sin is probably the main culprit of hindering your prayers getting up to God. Uh, you, need to, you need to go to God. You need to confess that sin. You need to, you need to uh, tell Jesus Christ that you're sorry for that sin, that you're going to try not to do it again. You say, Brother Keegan, I'm probably going to do it again. You might, but tell him you're not going to. Amen. And to the best of your ability, don't do it. You've got a free will. Say, Lord, I'm going to use my will not to do that. And with the help of your Holy Spirit, fill me with your Holy Spirit that I can do this. I need to do it. I can't stop doing it, but with your help, I know I can. I'm abiding in you, Lord. I want to stop doing that. See, that's a prayer God wants to hear. Amen. He wants to hear those prayers like he said when he seen the man fall down on his knees and say, Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. Jesus Christ said that man went down to his house justified. That's the kind of prayers God wants to hear. Amen. He knows you're not going to clean your life up completely. Or he wouldn't have had to die, amen, on the cross. But you've got to try to clean your life up. You've got to try to live for him. You've got to get those sins under control. And man, what kind of prayers can you have answered? God only knows. You only know. But that's what can hinder your prayers is sin. And finally, look at Mark chapter, Mark chapter 11. In closing, finally, Mark chapter 11. This is the big one. Mark chapter this is the big one. I've given you seven of them. Mark chapter 11, verse 25. Gospel of Mark, chapter 11, verse 25. And I'm going to go over the last six before we do the seventh one. Uh, number one, not asking. Number two, selfishness. Number three, being double-minded and doubtful. Number four, mistreating your spouse. Number five, displeasing the Lord. And the sixth one was, of course, sins. Sins are keeping you from having your prayers answered. Now look at Mark chapter 11. Verse 25, and we're closing this out. And when ye stand praying, Jesus Christ says, when ye stand praying, forgive. If you have aught against any, that your Father also which is in heaven may forgive you your trespasses. Amen. If you're going to pray, you need to have a forgiving heart. I don't want to forgive them. Look at verse 26. Man, this, this Bible, it just cuts your knees out from under you. But if ye do not forgive... Neither will your Father which is in heaven forgive your trespasses. Amen. It's an unforgiving heart. Man, that, that, that's something God's not going to put up with. I've seen God put up with men and their sin, but He will not put up with an unforgiving heart. And Jesus Christ warned us right there. So when you're praying, forgive. Don't be bitter and angry at everybody around you and then go to God and expect God to forgive you. It don't work that way. You know the Bible teaches that God will appear to you as you appear to other people? He will, he will, he will show Himself the way you show yourself? The Bible says in Psalms chapter 18, He says, I'll be merciful to those that show themselves merciful. Amen. With the pure of heart, I will show myself being pure of heart. With the forward, I will show myself forward. With the upright, I'll show myself upright. See, if you're going to approach God and you're going to be unforgiving, Jesus Christ just told us there in verse 26, He just confirmed what Psalms tells us in verse 26. If you show you, if you approach God and you've got an unforgiving heart, God says, I'm going to be unforgiving toward you. 
If you show up to God and you've got anger and you're mad, God says, you're going to see a little bit of anger in me. Guys, everything Jesus Christ taught us was not for those people that were forgiven's good. It's for your good. It's for you. Because I know enough about life to know that unforgiveness in the heart, it's a cancer that will eat you up. It's a spiritual cancer that will eat you alive. That bitterness, that anger, that unforgiveness. And it, see, Jesus Christ says you need to forgive. And guys, I'm telling you, there's times I pray and ask God and say, Lord, I forgive them for what they did. Those people that I forgive, they don't even know they've done something to me. They don't know that they hurt me. They don't know that I'm mad at them. See, you might be living with an unforgiving spirit. You might be living with unforgiveness in your heart. And those people that you're mad at, they're going on whistling and, whistling and happy as all get, get out. And happy as can be. And you're going, like, oh, I hate them, I hate them. You ever been like me? You go to Walmart and you see somebody you don't like over there. And, they, and you're trying, oh, there's so-and-so, let's go over here. You go try to hide. And they're like, hey, there's Keegan. Hey, what are you doing, Keegan? You're like, oh, man, they see me out. I don't like them. Hey, man. And you're trying to put on a, you know, a fake smile. Yeah, how you doing, man? Yeah. And you're thinking to yourself, die, die, die. That's an unforgiving spirit. And then I'm going to go home and say, oh, Lord, please, Lord, I got some Adam, won't you please heal them up, Lord? Please heal them up. And the Lord says, and he's done this to me many times. I'll be praying, Lord, please do this, and I'll be really having prayer. And all of a sudden, out of, just out of nowhere, like a, like a lightning bolt from heaven, you haven't forgiven so-and-so. <laughs> You're still mad about that. Amen. Oh, Lord, I want to stay mad. I have a right to be. Amen? Amen? Did I say anything about rights? Do you have a right to be mad at them? Yes, you do. Do you have a right not to forgive them? Yeah! Right? They did something wrong to you. They did something evil to you. You say, I'm not going to forgive them. And you have that right. But doesn't God have a right not to forgive you? Doesn't God, God, doesn't God got a lot on you? <laughs> so, when somebody comes to you and does something that, hey, you deserve to be mad at them. They deserve to have all your anger faced at them. Don't you, you want to say, you know what? I'm going to show them grace and mercy and I'm going to forgive them. But they don't deserve it. I know they don't deserve it, but I'm going to give it to them anyway. And then when you turn and go to your God, your Father, and you say, Lord, I, I really messed up, Lord. I know I don't even deserve for you to forgive me. And the Lord's going to say, I know, but I'm going to do it anyway. Because you forgave them when they didn't deserve it. But if you do not forgive, neither will your Father, which is in heaven, forgive your trespasses. One of the beauties of Christianity is the truth of forgiving spirit. And what I've noticed about, uh, be it Muslims, Buddhist, whatever it is, they will not teach forgiveness. If you slap me on my cheek, I'm not going to turn the other cheek. I'm going to kill you. I heard a Muslim say that. I'm not like a Christian. If you slap me on my cheek, I'm going to turn I'm going to kill you. That's a peaceful religion you got there, bud. Real peaceful. My Savior said, I better forgive you. That's what my Savior told me to do. 
And you know what I know about that? That makes for a lot better place to live. And going back to 1 Peter chapter 3, it makes for a lot better marriage to be in. Being a marriage where there's some forgiveness going on. Because you're going to get to know that person better than anybody else. And you're going to see all their flaws, all their black marks, all their problems. All their, you're going to see all their sins. You're going to see all of that. And you're going to have to one day say, man, they don't deserve it, but I forgive them because I love them. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, you know we're not worthy of anything that we, we do around you, Lord God. And even to open up your book, Lord God, I'm not worthy, Lord. And I pray, Father, that, Lord, you'll give us some understanding out of your book, Father, to be better Christians, Lord God, to, to take this stuff with us, Lord, when we leave these doors, Lord God, and we go out into the world, Lord God, and, and have that forgiving spirit you want us to have, Lord. Show mercy, show grace, Lord God. Be upright, Lord God, and not to be evil and wicked and mad and angry all the time, Lord God. And Father, some of us in here, and especially me, Lord, that... That's in my nature, Lord God, just to be spiteful and hateful, Lord God. And Father, I pray, Lord, through your Holy Spirit, Lord, you would fill me with your Holy Spirit that I would be more like you and be more like Christ and not be more like Kegan. And Lord, I want to be a better pastor, Lord God. I want to be a better husband. I want to be a better friend. I want to be a brother, better brother, Lord. I want, to, I want to be a better uncle. I want to be just a better person all around, Lord God, and I can't do it without you. And Lord, I want you, Father, to come in, Lord God, and straighten some stuff out in me, Lord. And Father, I pray, Father, that uh, some of these prayers that we're sending up, Lord God, we're sending up in faith, Lord God. And Father, I pray, Lord God, that maybe there's somebody on the side of my voice, Father, they've been praying about something, Lord. And Father, I pray, Lord, you show up and show them that you, you're God and you can do whatever you want to do, Lord. Maybe it's a prayer that nobody knows about, Lord, just you and them. And Lord, you could just show them how great you can be. Not because they deserve it, Lord. Not because they asked you and that they, they've done something holy, Lord God. But just because you're good. And that's the kind of God you are, Lord. You're just a good God that does things that we don't deserve. And Lord, I pray, Father, if there's someone, one of these hindrances, Lord God, that's keeping you from being able to talk to us, Lord God. Father, I pray, Lord God, you show it to us. But give us the strength to, to get over it, Lord God. And please forgive us, Father. You know we're just sinful men and women, Lord God. And Lord, I pray a blessing on every marriage under this room, Lord God. That you would bless them, Lord God. Give them strength to do the right thing in this wicked world, Lord God. Where the world tells us to go every way but your way, Lord. And Father, I pray a special blessing on those, Lord God, that have took the effort to come out here this evening, this morning, Lord God, to, to worship you, Lord God, when they could be sitting at home, Lord God. I pray a special blessing on them, Lord. But if there's somebody that doesn't know Jesus Christ, Lord, as we give this invitation, I pray that they'll come on down the aisle and get saved. Thank you, Lord, for salvation of Jesus Christ. Thank you, for, thank you, Lord, that it's a free gift, and that all we have to do is ask for it. And I pray all this in the name of my blessed Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Hello friends, this is Pastor Keegan Hall of Indian Gap Baptist Church of Indian Gap, Texas. If you'd like to contact us, you can do it at IndianGapBaptist.com. On the internet, it's IndianGapBaptist.com. But I have a question for you. If you died tonight, do you know if you would go to heaven? You know, if you're not sure, let me show you a few verses out of the Bible so you can know if you have eternal life. The Bible says in 1 John chapter 5, verse 13, these things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life, and that you may believe on the name of the Son of God. So that verse tells us there that you can know you have eternal life. And I want to show you how you can know that. Jesus Christ talked in John chapter 3, verse 16, and most people have heard this verse. 
For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. That's an amazing verse, of course, talking about how God gave Jesus Christ as a gift to the world. But verse 17 and 18, he went on to say something interesting. For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. So the whole reason Jesus Christ came into this world was to save you and to save me and you. But in verse 18, he says something that's amazing. He says that he that believeth on him is not condemned. He's stressing a faith. It's putting your faith into Jesus Christ. But he says there in verse 18, But he that believeth not is condemned already, because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. So he says you're condemned already if you haven't believed in Jesus Christ. It's not like you're going to go to heaven and you're going to stand before God and you're going to have God put your good deeds on the scale and your bad deeds on on the other side of the scale and he's going to weigh it. And if you've been a good enough person down on this earth that he'll let you into heaven. It doesn't work that way. Jesus Christ is real explicit here to say that you're condemned already. You need a Savior right now. The same chapter down in verse 36, it says, He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life. It goes back to a believe, putting your faith in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. But the verse continues, And he that believeth not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. See, it's going on right now. You need a Savior right now. You need to be saved from a devil's hell. Paul sums it up real good here in Romans chapter 10, verse 9, That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, Thou shalt be saved. It's putting your faith in Jesus Christ from the heart. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness. And then with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. It's very important to confess Jesus Christ because the mouth shows where the heart's at. And in verse 13 he sums it up. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. So friends, as simple as just bowing your head and saying a prayer, something like this. Lord, I know I'm a sinner. I know you died on the cross for my sins. I believe you can came up from the grave and are alive right now listening to me. I invite you into my heart to save me. Please save me, Lord Jesus. Amen. If you prayed something similar to that, we'd love to hear from you. You can contact us at IndianGapBaptist.com. And God bless you. And until next time. Casting all your care. Upon him